All right, uh, please stand if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Samuel 13, 1 through 21. This is a lot, so hang in there with me. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took her hold of her and said to her, come, lie with me, sister, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us here, whether in person or online. Now, my task was to look at uh, 2 Samuel and find a story on Absalom. Uh, there's actually quite a few chapters on Absalom's life, um, but I found this one. Now, I almost entitled the sermon this morning, Why Do We Have Stories Like This in the Bible? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I'm not sure about you, but I, I, just, I feel like in the church, I'm sitting there uh, listening and, and reading the passage with you, but I, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know. It's just, I, I read stories like that and, and feel so embarrassed reading it, but uh, these are the stories of, of the Bible. Now, there's a lot happening in this chapter, actually in several chapters across 2 Samuel, all sorts of uh, interesting characters come out of the woodwork. Names you may or may not recognize. Last week, Pastor Brad shared the story of the double sin of adultery and murder by King David, the one who is called the man after God's own heart. Brad mentioned that David breaks at least four of the Ten Commandments in these scenarios where he tries to cover his tracks. So when David, when confronted by Nathan the prophet, there is a real and genuine confession of sin. And you can find that prayer, one of the most beautifully penned prayers in all of Scripture in Psalm 51. Now you might remember from last week, the pronouncement of judgment on the house of David, as Nathan tells the king. Now therefore, Nathan says to David, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wife in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And what's fascinating is, again, it's written in chapter 12, and by the time we reach the end of 2 Samuel, again, there's chaos because of what David has done. Every story that you read from this point on in 2 Samuel is a story of, of this, a crumbling, a, a dismantling of David's palace. Chapter 12 begins this unraveling. It's the seeds of dysfunction. They begin to take root in the king's palace. And although David repents and uh, genuinely and completely, you know, the Lord restores him, but the place the palace is never the same again. The sin he committed took an awful toll, uh, what was once a fairy tale, a story told of a young shepherd boy who takes a giant and kills a giant, becomes king. And this quickly turns to drama and tragedy and evil in his own home. I thought I would show you the David family tree. Now, I don't know if you knew, again, I know most folks know Solomon, who is a son of David, and as you may have seen today, there's, uh, there's Amnon and there's Absalom. It is a crazy, and I think as uh, Tyler said back there, it's a nutty tree. You can see that David has something like eight wives, uh, 10 unnamed wives, there's concubines, uh, there are all sorts of children born to each of these women, except for uh, Michael, who is the first 
of David's wives, who was the, uh, the daughter of King Saul. I mean, it's hard to see. You have to have good eyes to see that closely, but there's a lot. And I think, again, the, the graph here or the, the picture here is missing a few names as well. Again, there are unnamed children there as well. And so there's a lot going on. There's a lot of drama in David's house. And again, uh, you may have heard today that, again, Absalom and Amnon and Tamar are all siblings. Only Absalom and Tamar are blood siblings, and everyone else are, are siblings, are half-sisters and half-brothers. But that is the dysfunctional family tree. It's a bit convoluted than what you can see. The tree fails to show the other characters. Former husbands aren't there. There are unnamed wives. What a mess. Now, I must admit, this part of David's character has always disturbed and puzzled me. How is he a man after God's own heart? Did you see the tree? He was a man after God's own heart, a valiant warrior who learns to trust God for everything. He's tender. If you ever read the Psalms, again, lots of the Psalms that we have are penned by David himself. He's a poet. He's a musician. He's a warrior. He's a beautiful worshiper. And yet, we have this. And if I could just pause for a second and say, my friends, what's fascinating is the Bible never, the Bible never flatters its heroes. Even the best of them are tainted with some flaw and sometimes too many to count. And David is no exception. He's not your fairy tale prince. Handsome young warrior who sweeps the beautiful princess off her feet. In fact, he's a polygamist. He's quite, he swept quite a few off their feet. And these details, the one we like to leave in the closet or under a rug, are intentionally placed there for us to see. The Bible displays our seemingly heroes and heroines in all their glory, warts and scars and scabs and all, and imperfections, all of it without pretense or some have-it-all-together facade. You know, our Bible, if you ever get a chance to kind of skim through the pages or the stories of the, of the narratives, you know, that's what you find you know, if I were writing a book where I'd say, okay, I am God, and you have to believe me, I would put all the good stories in there, all the great stories of, of great men and, and great women, those who followed God and obeyed God perfectly, the ones who were faithful to their spouse, you know, only put in the story of David and Goliath. But we have stories like this. And it's perplexing. I find it extremely disturbing. Why would God include such horribly flawed characters in the Bible? As we look at the second Samuel narrative, there seems to be a real spotlight, a heavy focus on certain characters. The writer goes to great lengths to graphically uh, depict the cast and their actions, uh, starting in chapter 13. And we might be tempted to think that because there's so much detail about these men and women, 
that the lessons are about them. But you know the Bible stress, after all, is on God's word and deeds. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, when coming to difficult passages like this, is to ask, what does the passage say about the heart of God? In what ways do these passages or these narratives point us to Jesus? I thought it was important that we keep this in mind as we look at the, the rest of the story this morning. Now, there are tangential characters like nephews. You saw the, the son of my brother. I mean, there's all these nephews, and uh, the Bible is very clear as who these characters are. There's counselors and with strange names. There's commanders of armies. And for a lack of time, we'll not cover uh, everything because we don't have the kind of time to nearly uh, cover the, the story. And to get the story right and the context straight, you can find these narratives in, in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14 particularly. But throughout 2 Samuel, we're introduced to the family. We meet Amnon in 2 Samuel 13. I'm sorry, in 2 Samuel chapter 3. The same one we find, uh, again, he's the, he's the oldest. Again, just kind of keeping your, your uh, genealogy correct. Again, Amnon is the oldest of David's children. We also meet Absalom, who in the same chapter, uh, in chapter 3, is introduced. And he's the, the third child of David's third wife. And there's Absalom, who has a sister named Tamar, born to the same mother. So we have a description of Absalom in chapter 14. Uh, again, this is a chapter following, but... Uh, but the writer of uh, 2 Samuel describes Absalom this way. Again, since they didn't have photographers or portraits of these characters, we have this. In verse uh, 25 of chapter 14, it's now, in all, now it says, In all Israel there was no one so much to be praised. And again, I think there's a little bit of a hint that in, in some ways he's like his father. He's a handsome young man. Uh, he says, and again, in, in Samuel says, Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. I love the description. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Can you imagine? I don't, I'm, just, I'm not sure what you're thinking of when you think of a handsome man. But can you imagine what he, what, what he must have looked like? You know, a rugged, good-looking man, uh, strong and, and lots of muscles, not a blemish, not a mole, no acne, blue eyes. I don't know, maybe he didn't have blue eyes. Six foot one. How tall are you, Brad? Six two, six three. The difference, uh, the guy had long hair. <laughs> but by the time we get to chapter 13, it's a mess. It's a dysfunctional family. A dysfunctional family mess. It's like the, a bad episode of a, of a bad soap opera. You know, I particularly like Full House because, you know, in almost every episode, every problem is solved in 20 or 30 minutes. But not this one. We get an insider view of a gut-wrenching uh, family dynamic that seems to have a no quick or easy solution. There's lust, and there's rape. There's uh, all sorts of, of violence. Um, 
Uh, Amnon, the oldest, lusts after his half-sister and brother of Absalom and commits a deplorable act. There's hate and there's murder. I'm not sure about you, but uh, sound familiar? We just read it last week. Absalom's name means a father of peace. Av is the, the Hebrew word for father. And shalom, and you may know, is the Hebrew word for peace. And you can hear Absalom, Av Shalom, right, is the father of peace. And yet, there's so much violence that's going on in this home. Absalom is enraged at the assault of his sister and plans for cold-blooded revenge. Amnon we're introduced to in uh, chapter 13 again, who will be dead before the chapter is through. But he's portrayed here like a Canaanite, a, a non-Jew, and he will die a Canaanite's death. Again, the story isn't unique in the Bible, sadly. It happens a few other times in Scripture. David's son Amnon had fallen in love with his half-sister Tamar, and although the text calls it love, Amnon's actions make it clear that this is not love but rather a consuming lust that seeks to satisfy personal appetites. When Amnon finished satisfying his lust with Tamar, Amnon's great love turns instantly to bitter hatred. And again, the text tells us that, again, he hated her more. He hated her more. And, the, the, and greater than the love that which she loved her. The hatred with which he hated her her was greater than the love he had for her. And there's Absalom, who loves his sister with a brotherly love. He calls his first daughter that he has the same name, Tamar. You may get confused. Again, there's every reason to get confused, because we might think it might be the same person. It's not. Uh, Absalom has a, a daughter who he names Tamar after his sister. Uh, Tamar weeps over the way she has been treated, and during her mourning, he, uh, her brother, uh, Absalom, comes to comfort her. Uh, and in this particular text, Absalom is the only man who acts with some decency. He consoles her and takes her into, her into his home to care for her. And again, the hatred of Amnon, uh, I'm sorry, the hatred for Amnon by Absalom uh, simmers for a very long time. And so for two years, he plots his revenge. Uh, evil circumstances corrupt people more easily than we can understand. There's a paper-thin line between, uh, that exists between being justifiable anger and hateful destruction, and Aflam is right there. Justice can look very much like revenge, and in an attempt to make things right, we may stumble into spiteful uh, vindictiveness or revenge, and that's what's happening with Absalom. So at sheep-shearing time, he'll invite all the king's sons he invites the king, but the king doesn't come. But he especially invites Amnon, and in an act of premeditated murder, when Amnon is drunk, Absalom kills him. In an act of rage, he murders his half-brother. My friend, if the text tells us anything, it's that sin is more than just guilt. Sin is more than just the consequences that follow. There is a corrupting nature that ruins relationships and, and corrodes the purest of motives and intentions. And then there's King David. We look at David, a man after God's own heart, but here, he's angry. 
At the end of the section, he's angry. He's mad. And yet he doesn't do anything. The story of Amnon and Tamar. He heard about all these things and he was angry, very angry. And that's good. But he does nothing. And that's bad. The text tells us that David did nothing. David was very angry. That's it. That's all. Just angry. According to the law, which David knew very well, whether uh, whoever violated his sister was to be vomited out of the community. That was the law of the land over which David was king. He was, in, he was to enforce the law of God. David should have put him out of the house, out of Jerusalem, out of the land of Israel, thereby making a bold statement to the community that, again, these actions are not welcome. These actions have repercussions. There's a punishment to be paid for, for gross sins. A bold statement to the community that his son's actions has, has caused him to be an abomination, that there was no excuse for such a violent crime. And David got very, very angry, and yet he did nothing. David heard how Amnon had used him, had weaseled his permission for Tamar to come to his house. He probably heard how Amnon had abused Tamar, how he had disposed of her, how she was seen and heard running and screaming through the streets with a robe ripped. He perhaps heard how she was not, uh, that she was a destroyed woman existing in Absalom's house. David heard about all these things and he was very angry. David was irate. He was so furious that he could scarcely contain his rage. But he does. But my friends, before we get carried away, and before we're quick to judge the passivity of David, what if you were the parent? What if you were the parent in this case who has to be the arbiter, the judge between the perpetrator, Amnon, and also come to the aid of the victim, Tamar? How do you decide who to comfort? Yes, Tamar, the obvious choice. But Amnon also requires the counsel and the care of his father. David is caught between a rock and a hard place. It's all in the family. And that's when it becomes so difficult. When the perpetrator is someone you don't know, it's easy to say, Here's the sentence, and here's the judgment. Here's what you owe. And yet, when it happens in the same family, how do you punish? How do you bring justice to? And how do you bring justice for? And bring comfort to two people in the same family at the same time? Yes, this is both hypothetical and also real. How does a father show justice and grace at the same time? How does a king to his own family show truth and also love at the same time? Amnon should have been punished and Tamar exonerated. 
Instead, Amnon is not held accountable. Tamar receives no retribution or atonement or even consolation from David. Absalom is handed a plausible excuse for revenge and ultimately murder. And how do you keep your children accountable? when you're in no position to do so. For David, too, was an adulterer and a murderer. Why in the world is, is this story in the Bible? Why do we have stories like this in Scripture? I hate it. I mean, imagine uh, someone comes to church for the first time or someone wants to know who Jesus is and you share it with them this particular story. I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. <laughs> As I read passages like this, I can only think of two things, uh, reasons why stories like this would be in the Bible. Yes, there are people who have been badly hurt. There are people who have been badly injured and violated. There are victims of assault, physical and verbal and sexual assault. And it seems to say these stories are there. Again, these stories, these raw stories in Scripture are there to tell us that we're not alone. What kind of Bible would we have if it didn't address the dregs and the hurts and the pains and the darkness that so color our lives? What kind of Bible would it be if only the fairy tale stories were told? What kind of Bible would it be if it didn't have the, the realness, the truth of what happens every day? In the wisdom of God, I think he includes stories like this to tell us that, again, those who have been wronged, God sees us, that God sees you, that God knows the hurts and God knows the pains and God knows all these things and God is there in our midst. That you are not alone. There are stories like this to give validation to the pain to give validation to the suffering. There are pains, uh, there are stories of pain, and there are stories of tears and, and excruciating suffering all throughout Scripture to let us know that God is there, that God hears the cries of His people. Stories like this exist. What kind of Bible would it be if it didn't address the dregs and the hurts and the pains and darkness that so often colors our life. My friends, there's good news. There's good news that there's more to the pain, that God is there to comfort us. And it almost seems like when we read through this story that, that David is the, the anti-hero or perhaps David is the, uh, if we had a better father, he would comfort both Tamar and also Amnon. 
He would do it in a way where he would act on justice and show grace at the same time. He would lay down the law and say, this is what's right. And this is how I would love you despite that. The second reason I think the Bible is filled with these kinds of stories is because he reminds us that our prodigal sons, and there are many, it's not one, but many prodigal sons and daughters who have a way of running away from God and doing the wrong thing. It may be a story of your life and mine. It may be a story of, of a runaway, walking away or running away from God. Last week, uh, Pastor Brad spoke of a better king, and, and this morning we look at our need for a better father. The prodigal story is about a father who has a heart that loves them both. We live in a time where we want justice, and we think oh, one person has to lose while the other one wins. We think, again, it's a, it's a story about how, how one needs to, uh, to pay the penalty in almost a vengeful and, and spiteful way. But only a good father, only a good, good father knows how to relieve the tensions of, of caring for both his children, and maybe here, his many children, of Amnon and Tamar and of Absalom, how he could care for them. The biblical image of God as both our king and father is no accident. God is able to effortlessly and simultaneously fulfill both roles. First, as the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who sustains everything in this massive universe, but, as the, but also as the loving, caring, adoring Father who always has the time to draw close and listen to each of His beloved children at any given moment. That's the kind of God we have. My friends, my salvation is not in David. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man after God's own heart because God humbled him. Why do you think God can write those psalms in which he conveys such a nearness and such a tenderness of spirits? Because God humbled him to dust. David could bring nothing to God and say, look, Lord, what I could bring his own life, his own family's life is in shambles. But you know, it's a story of redemption. The story, this story is saying, David is not your man. Only Jesus can save. Only he can save. And he can help. And he can nourish. And he can protect. And he can surround you with his presence. Who find themselves as victims in this world like Tamar. This story drives us to Jesus because there is no redemption in the story itself. Someone else had to come. come. Great, uh, a, a, a greater David, a perfect and righteous son, a son of David, one of the sons of David, the only son of David that matters who comes and, and offers his own life and gives his life that another might live. That he would take the corruptness of our own darkened souls that he might present to us his unblemished one. 